Welcome to the Space Cave, a big warg to all of you. I'm David Huntsberger. Uh, before we start, I haven't asked in a long time, and I uh, just realized that it is helpful getting the show back up and to speed, that things like ratings and reviews and subscribing, any of that, if you've listened to the show and you maybe don't want to become a, a Patreon member, that's the simplest way to help the show. And if you have suggestions for guests or music or beer. We haven't involved beer in a while, but this episode you're about to listen to was recorded in person. So we're inching ever closer to that. And an upcoming episode after this, there is some beer. So we'll try to involve that again. Uh, a big thank you to my friend Joel, who set this one up. So if you know someone that's interesting, a scientist or artist, someone you think, hey, they might be a good guest, reach out. It's very helpful. And uh, I really appreciate it. And this episode uh, is a result of that, and I, I uh, am excited for you to listen to it. So here is part one with Kyla Van Manen on marine biology and so much more. Well, you expressed a little bit of uh, trepidation, which is not uncommon uh, um, from scientists to be hmm. a little bit like, um, not nervous, but just unsure of like... Speaking publicly, which this isn't really public. It's just a a little studio slash garage, just sure. chatting. But and not to like start right off with that. But I, I am curious, like in your education or did you have to give a lot of presentations? You have to present your findings. Yeah, I, I did a couple times. I had a few um, for my master's thesis, I had to present that to my class, and it was our family and our professors, our advisors. So it was kind of low stakes. Um, I don't think I've gotten enough practice public speaking to feel like it's second nature yet. Um, yeah. I'd say I'm still in this sort of like uh, climbing in my career to where I want to be, and I'm finally kind of getting into the area that feels really comfortable and exciting to me, but I'm still getting comfortable there. So I think there's there's a fair amount of imposter syndrome that kind of follows me around a little bit, um, and it's doing things like this that build the confidence to, to make me feel a little more comfortable doing it more. Good, um, yeah. Yeah, so I, I kind of looked at this as an experience just to expand my you know, my confidence in doing, <laughs> doing these kinds of, yeah. having these kinds of conversations that may end up public to some extent, um, or will, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I could always, uh, keep this in like the vault or something, like <laughs> but yeah, we'll go public to some extent. And then it's hard to define public these days because with the sheer level of how much stuff is contributed to the world every day. Totally. I think that's sort of the open source idea in that 
doesn't make any sense to have things be locked away or whatever Absolutely. that is just because you get lost in the shuffle where like oh i hope no one finds that thing i did publicly right and then if you're making things publicly you're like no one can find my thing there's too much stuff and so this will this will find its niche but like in theory because your name will be attached mm-hmm. if people down the road want to look and this could be an interesting turning point where you could be someone that's on tv all the time in 10 years and people looking back go, hey i hear this first this podcast appearance she yeah. was like was just developing the presence or whatever it is mm-hmm. where i guess to when i think about scientists and part of the reason of starting this podcast and the one i did before this was it seemed so um it seemed removed the idea of scientists communicating directly and so you'd read articles you'd hear about things you'd go i don't, I don't know I, I guess they did this study and and then hearing directly from scientists to say, here's how we did that bit of research. Here's where we went. Here's who conducted it. And here's why that's important. Or here's mm-hmm. what we were looking for. To me, that really opened things up and made it a lot more accessible, which it always felt like it should have been. It seems so strange prior to that where like scientists were, don't bother them. They're always doing research and you just got to trust it. They mm-hmm. released the science from like this castle and you're thankful to get it. And then seeing that some of the scientists probably that on the first podcast we did went on to like start their own podcast or become a lot more vocal and visible, I think is is so helpful. And I think maybe the the physicists, the people that we associate with famous scientists currently, that seems like it's maybe always been the case going back to Einstein and people like that. But nowadays with like... Um, um, Neil deGrasse Tyson or something, mm-hmm. but marine biology and especially with the state of the planet currently feels like there should be some figureheads that we're all well aware of. Sure. Yeah. And I think for me, there are, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a few that come to mind. Um, Dr. Sylvia Earle is probably the, one of the most famous marine biologists, definitely the most famous female marine biologist and an amazing science communicator. Um, but I think you're really hitting the nail on the head. The The way we have kept or the scientific community has kept research, findings, process, methods, the conversation, discussion, um, questioning methods and, and answers and solutions behind sort of this wall and this ivory tower, behind a paywall maybe, um, and sort of within this peer review process has really done a disservice to our the, wide, the public's wider understanding of science in general and the climate crisis, you know, specifically. Um, and I think we're paying that price right now with so much doubt in, in believing that climate change is real, so much pessimism and thinking that we can do anything about it, um, really not understanding the core science and processes going on behind it. You know, if people don't understand what's happening, they're not going to have any empower you feel empowered at all to be able to do anything about it. Um, so I completely agree. I mean, this is definitely my passion is sort of in this space of how can we make science more translatable, um, easier to understand broader audiences across cultures, across contexts, um, and specifically at the urgency we need people to be honestly freaked out right now. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there's, I feel like it's become so layered in that existentially people are, you don't want to walk around with that dread all the time. Sure. 
And then I feel I, lately I've developed a really negative association with like good vibes only and that kind of, hey, I just want everyone to be happy. I, I dislike it, especially in comedians. I just want everyone to be happy. And I feel like, oh, I feel like <laughs> that group is the most like rushing out for Black Friday deals and unwrapping a new TV when their current one works, mm-hmm. throwing all of the packaging out on the sidewalk, letting <sighs> it blow away in the wind and having people over. Let's just have a party. It's have fun. Don't worry about that. Don't be negative. Yeah. Have fun. Let's yeah. just, it's a short life and let's have fun. Not that everyone should be dour and walking around with pierced brows, but at the same time, there's, there should be like this awareness that hopefully – you can still have that party, but maybe you could do it with just like a slight bit of a more mindful approach to what ramifications that's going to have. But I, I feel like when I say it's layered, it's that people might know that, but then they listen to a podcast or they saw someone speak that says some technology will solve it or the future. That we're, mm-hmm. or only 1% comes from blah, blah, blah. Right. Only this amount of waste comes from here. This doesn't matter. So then suddenly to them – Really nothing matters as far as their waste. Oh, I'm not the military. I'm mm-hmm. not the Department of Defense, you know, polluting X amount to the to the environment. I'm just this one little person. And then you and then so that becomes challenging where everyone has their own perspective on it. Mm-hmm. And uh I don't know how like for you being so close to it, where you feel like the, is the best place to sort of I don't know, like uh, apply the the knowledge that it would take or, or you know, to like to, to start to impact people's way of acting without it feeling like they're being put upon yeah. or told what to do sure. or made to feel dumb or anything like that. Oh, it's so hard. Um, and I mean, everyone's different, you know, um, your your attitudes on how you feel about science and nature and the planet are going to have a lot to do with how you stand and what kind of role you take in addressing the climate crisis. And trust me, like, my family, my friends, my partner can all speak to how uh, disenchanted and sad and frustrated and kind of lost I get, you know, as someone who thinks about this stuff all the time, every day, all day during work and a lot of the time when I'm not working, you know. Um, But I think that there's, you know, The stance that I take is just when you look around and see how much there is to lose, you know, and how so you have this dichotomy of just how beautiful the world we live in now is and then this fear of losing it or what we're seeing now is just losing it in real time in front of our eyes. You know, if the weather patterns, if it's seeing less birds migrating or less insects, you know, you're really seeing it. Um, So I think I kind of rely on human nature's innate capacity to really be astounded and and awed by being outside and and seeing the natural world and then you know building on that connection to implore people to do something about it um you also have to just kind of not worry about those people who just aren't gonna do it you know who just don't care you know I just my job is not to convince people who don't believe climate change is real that it's real that's just like such a waste of energy i mean from my perspective for me you yeah. know they'll leave that to someone else um and i am finding that that's a conversation i'm having a lot less now um even with people with very you know more conservative uh political beliefs it's not really is climate change real it's more is it because of us you know <laughs> or is it because of america is it china or india you yeah. know is it a different country who we should be worrying about um 
But one one way I think, you know, there's a, a movement of climate optimism, which I think is important. You know, doom and gloom doesn't win hearts and minds, you know, necessarily, um, unless you're kind of an extremely empathetic person. Um, I agree good vibes only doesn't work either because that's unrealistic and kind of frustrating and you don't want to ignore the what the the reality of what's happening um there's there's sort of a movement now of people really smart folks thinking about climate futures you know and sort of thinking about how could we imagine what if we did things right dr ayana johnson is a is a very well-known um, marine biologist, black marine biologist, who has done some amazing work at the intersection of climate, justice, um, and art. She does a lot of, like, they, the, her organizations, nonprofits do a lot of work around kind of bringing poetry and empathetic human connection into understanding the climate. She works with a lot of indigenous and female climate scientists and leaders, um, and she's been pushing this sort of concept of climate futures. And what if we did it right? What would what would it look like if we did it right? You know, which is a much better exercise, I think, um, than just saying, if we do it wrong, here's what we're looking at. Yeah. I, I um, we would always go hiking in this one area in the Sierras. And for the longest time, like when I was younger, there was really only men up there. I, it was like so rare to see women and or anyone of color. And then it must have been on like some travel blogs or some influencers posting about it because now it gets it's pretty crowded. And, it you know, you see like the youth and it's which is not always like a perfect existence in that there there are things that come up. Hey, hey when, I, when I was a kid, we did this. We walked this way and. But now, you know, kids are coming along with Bluetooth speakers in their backpacks <laughs> blaring. And you're like, well, I don't love that out in nature. But at least you're out here. I'm glad you're out here. And you might find like a little more litter or things left behind or absentmindedly, not even maliciously. Or I I think when you see people litter and they feel like, ah, have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? That little layer of strata, that's way more than we've been here. This doesn't, this gum wrapper, this whatever doesn't matter. And from the maybe more conservative side, when they are typically more religious and into the idea of the Garden of Eden, I don't think there's really anyone existing that likes the idea of seeing nature filthy Mm -hmm. with gum wrappers everywhere and trash and plastic blowing around. And so there is this version where everyone wants to get out there, enjoy it, and can potentially do it without absentmindedly forgetting things. And then maybe if you know, I come along and I'll pick up your gum wrapper or like I pack things <laughs> down mm-hmm. the hill with me just because I don't like seeing mm-hmm. it and wondering that like if you create kind of a, a base or like a consumer thing where you don't have to be a jerk about it, but just, oh, we're we're scooping hydrogen out of the air as we fly along and we're marketing that and that is a new way to power anything, power your home or create, you know, we're drawing from solar and we're doing this and it's just cheaper if you can just apply to that where people go, oh, I, I'm not a, I'm not a climate person, but this is a really sweet deal. Mm-hmm. And it's, there's minimal impact. I don't even think they would use any of those terms. They would just kind of be like, I like seeing nature clean. I think most humans could say, I like that. I like being able to scoop up some water and drink it. Or I like mm-hmm. you know, seeing birds migrating. And how do you do that where you're appealing to people like, don't you like being out in nature? Don't you like doing these things? Here is this thing that we've – so that's where maybe people get excited about 
technology helping out mm-hmm. is that, oh, well, I was throwing my gum wrappers everywhere. They developed whatever that may be. And maybe that would be, I'm kind of rambling, but I think like, <laughs> I'm just envisioning like drones that come along and you know, fly down and pick up your gum wrapper. And you're like, that's just nature. <laughs> that's how <laughs> we have to live wouldn't now. Wouldn't it be... Oh, can you? I, I can't think of anything worse than a drone flying around while you're trying to enjoy Same. a day on the beach. <laughs> uh, I would. I want to like the only time I want a gun, uh, it's to shoot those <laughs> out of the sky. <laughs> but yeah, no, I see what you're saying. I mean, you know that the, there's a lot of uh, optimism from certain people about the power of technology to undo what we've done. Mm-hmm. Um. And I think we're probably going to have to lean into some of those technological solutions. And I say that with a sigh because there's just downstream consequences to further kind of digging ourselves into that hole, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as climate solutions, the ones that are most exciting to me and I think most of the the scientists I know, well, most of the ecologists I know, um, are nature-based solutions, um, you know, pulling carbon out of the atmosphere by growing more seaweed and doing, you know, mm-hmm. um, kind of different kinds of farming techniques. And so I, I'm, I, I can see why those things are exciting to people, but wouldn't it be easier to just put your gum wrapper in your pocket? Um, <laughs> but then is it easier to change minds and change habits and change people? I don't know. Yeah. But if we're enabling them to just throw stuff out, onto the ground by picking up after them. That doesn't feel like a long-term solution either, that that could just escalate. And it has. I mean, you know, our country, like, you know, parts of it are very clean. You go, you know, travel around the world and see a lot more litter because there's different, you know, infrastructure, different culture, different understanding of where all that goes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I yeah, not to be pessimistic about it. I'm just trying to think of all the ways that we're trying to like sort of puzzle piece together what is humanity, who are humans, mm. and how what is our nature? I mean, mm-hmm. even prior to any awareness of our impact on the ecosystems and, you know, destroying or overhunting sure. megafauna or yeah. you know, extinction levels of yeah, they just we just killed them all. Right. <laughs> it's like that that's us in in a very like brief glimpse and then this like smallest descriptor what are humans like mm-hmm. it's that it's gum wrappers accidentally didn't mean to just right. kind of absent-minded i was taking in the view i was enjoying nature and i forgot that i left my water bottle behind mm-hmm. me or i left this thing or a whole umbrella i left my whole pack i yeah. whatever whatever that humans do so how do you then go well the the best thing would be that if everyone could be aware and mindful of what they're doing i feel like you can just cross that one off <laughs> <laughs> Totally. <laughs> There's no way yeah. you're going to convince humans, right. like, could you just keep after yourself? Nah, no, no, I cannot. Yeah. So then, like, what's the next one? If we have drones zooming out of the sky to clean up your water bottle mm-hmm. or your gum wrapper, that's not ideal. We can do it. Yeah. And it creates business. It creates, you know, an economy yeah. and jobs and all that stuff. Well, maybe we could make things out of materials that are less harmful to the planet. Maybe if the gum wrapper was made of hemp or something, you know, biodegradable. Yeah. That that could help. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that kind of transition is really challenging, but also sort of what we're looking at in the future. Um, 
is you know trans transitioning materials, transitioning fuel, transitioning energy. Yeah, and they're all doing. I mean, that's the weird thing when you have like the fully against humans contributing to climate change. Oh, come on. Fossil fuels and all that. Come on. Like, that's ridiculous. We've been here forever and, and, and the planet's been doing this and the Pleistocene era, the amount of CO, blah, blah, blah. Like, they'll just, they'll have their mm-hmm. own bits of data points that they bring up. And to which you would say, like, yeah, but even the fossil fuel companies are advertising how they are using solar or how they're growing algae or they are trying to use, all you know, renewable energy. So they're aware of it, that there is an economy there. And if mm-hmm. the consumers are the ones driving that, like, I'm no longer going to purchase this. I'm going to get this one, even though it's a little more expensive. You're starting to see like aluminum bottles for water bottles. And that if people just choose that over mm-hmm. plastic, it just takes that little bit of no one's buying it anymore. I guess we got to get rid of it. No one's buying it. So it seems possible. It yeah. seems like just that little bit. I think there's been great strides in in that sort of uh, framework of you know, consumers making the choices and really driving, you know, the market from the bottom up. But ultimately, if we want to stop seeing plastic around, it has to be at a political level. It has to be at a policy level. And there's there's no reason why it can't just be <laughs> illegal to be making more of this shit. You know, yeah. um, I at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's cheaper and you can't fault people who have less money for buying the cheapest option. So there's always going to be that that push pull there and it's not really fair to put that on the consumer at the end of the day some people are like okay yeah this is a dollar more i get a dollar back when i return it you know if i get the milk in the in the glass (laughs) container but that's really not a viable option for for much of our of our population you know um So, yeah, I think it's kind of a combination. It has to come from the individual. It has to come from awareness. There has to be this kind of push and interest and the people who are willing to pay the extra dollar, you know, if you can. And then it has to also that needs to be heard from a from a top down level and just be like, no, you know, we can't make things out of this plastic that can't be recycled anymore. You know, like, why are we doing that and telling people they can recycle it? You know, it's a complete ruse. (laughs) It's shocking. Well, it's um, with, you know, food and the, the giant companies that we have here pumping sodium and sugar and everything. And I mean, when you have that level of revenue to influence policy in the UK, they're like, yeah, you can't put that much sodium in. You can mm-hmm. still sell the product. You can still market it here. Those companies abide by that. Right. And then here when we go, hey, could you can we limit the no, no way, no restriction, Absolutely. no regulation. And then they, you know, when they can influence who's in charge and who's drafting those laws, right. that, that makes it pretty challenging yeah plastic if you're making several billion dollars a year manufacturing it and selling it it's really tough for someone to come in and go you know in other nations that this is illegal to produce it at this level sure yeah but they don't own a congressperson like i do (laughs) they don't they don't fill their pockets so that these policies i mean that's that's a little i don't want to get too tinfoil hatty but i think that like with something like plastic or with the the ability to shift that a little bit. I do think it's there. I think that like we had a a person come out and look at our washing machine recently and like, what kind of detergent do you use? And if you are trying to minimize your plastics Mm -hmm. and it's toothpaste tubes, it's little deodorant canisters that people just zoom through and think of like where those all go. My big goal has been not like in an Ed Bagley Jr. sense, but just that when I see those islands of plastic floating in the ocean, mm-hmm. I just want to feel like it didn't come from me. 
Yeah. You know, even if it's like, well, plastic doesn't like, I don't care what it does or how well it's, I just don't want to feel like one thing that slipped off a truck or fell out of a bin could end up there because of me. Mm-hmm. And so we have these like, um, these little sheets, you know, that you yeah, use. Yeah, I use those too. <laughs> <laughs> and the washing machine person was like, are you guys like, uh, like fully vegan or something? Kind of in a, in a, and he did not look like a, like he chewed through a whole can of skull a day kind of dude. He didn't look real butch and like judging me. He's like very L.A. looking person. Yeah. And still kind of being like, well, you get like fully vegan. <laughs> and you're like, you're not? <laughs> I know. Like <laughs> if I saw you, I would for sure assume you are fully vegan and you're kind of judging that we use these things that just the only reason is just to use less plastic. That's so interesting. Yeah. And so changing that, now that that was a good vibes only thing, but there was this kind of, oh boy, here we go. What are you right. trying to not use plastic? Like, you don't huh. have to do it, but now the judgment that comes with that is so bizarre. Is it detrimental to your washing machine to use the sheets? If it was, I wouldn't say it. I would I would be part of big dryer sheets <laughs> or big washing machine yeah. sheets. I would, I would say like the amount of... Oh, nothing is worse than those big empty. Yeah, like, Dawn, they're everywhere. Yeah, or not Dawn, the detergent. Tide. Tide. Yeah, yeah, they're huge, and you know they're not getting recycled. <laughs> they're full of they're full of uh, soap. Yeah, yeah. There's, just, there's no chance yeah. those are, and those probably fill up a large part of the ocean and the mm. the twice the size of Texas mass of plastic. But then yeah. you hear about someone. One was like a Dutch kid or something. Where's that kid from? That's like scraping them all up and. Oh, the, the, the it's called the Ocean Cleanup Project, and it's yeah. like a like a big sort of sucking machine that that skims it. And, yeah, it skims and, it, like <clears throat> conveyor belts it up, and yeah, hauls it yeah, away. that's an it's an interesting project. It's gotten a lot of um, play, uh, like you know, kind of gone viral, and it's interesting. It's sort of a a little polarizing in the marine science community. Um, I think it's amazing. I think it's really cool. People, I mean, first of all, raising awareness for the for the gyres of ocean plastic is really important. <laughs> um, you know, it's again, it's like if people don't see it, they don't care. And if you just if never knew, I mean, that's one thing drones are really good at is capturing things we never would have seen before. Um, <laughs> and I can, drones are really amazing at, at counting whales and counting great white sharks and very, very cool for data collection. Um, just not when you're chilling on the beach. But um, yeah, the ocean cleanup project, really cool. One one kind of critique that's been drawn about that project is that ocean plastic comes from land. So all plastic that's in the ocean is coming from land. Um, and it's all really coming from riverways. Um, so actually, a much more effective solution to dealing with ocean plastic, well, it needs to be, you know, remediated and cleaned up in the ocean. If we could stop it before it gets there, um, yeah. we'd be doing a much better service. Uh, and so creating kinds of different kinds of barriers in in rivers to collect um, the the plastic and then also obviously policy infrastructure measures you can make so that trash isn't ending up in the riverways yeah. in the first place. Um, but yeah, that's a really cool project. I mean, that's the kind of thing people want to see, right? Like, can't we just send a robot out to just go <laughs> clean it all up? Can we just skim it all off and then recycle it, you know? Yeah. Um, and we can try. You know, um, but imagine how little of a dent that thing's making in, in the continent of plastic yeah. out there. But if you can create an economy or some level of mm-hmm. capitalism that can be done yeah. where you have the dude who choose. And I think I think dude there more than anyone else because they tend to 
have a little bit of a pride in like chewing through a can of skull a day <laughs> and like, ah, that's nonsense. But if that person's like, ah, I got, I got a rig going out on the ocean. We're pulling in two tons of plastic a day. You know how much I'm making? You'd be like, well, that's great. Like there's now an economy mm-hmm. there and the more hands on deck, the better. I think I'm starting to feel now like the, the question of like, so we should stop hunting the mammoths <laughs> is kind of symbolic of humans not to say that like that's for sure that humans we... are, are like because the mammoths i mean i don't know is it is it is it widely known that we contributed to that's what the I, mammoth think. Extinction? I don't think we did because i mean obviously you know come the birth of capitalism we were just depleting every kind of animal we could but before that i think we were in a pretty good balance with with the the biodiversity really and, and I th- or maybe I mean, maybe i'm thinking like the buffalo the buffalo very real yeah yeah, yeah that was that was tragic <laughs> that was <laughs> really insane pull over real quick. i want to take a couple shots here just there's plenty of them yeah. i mean that is such a that level of waste that level was well, cheap on amazon that right. still exists yes. that's still like why wouldn't you mm-hmm. i mean it's a cyber monday you gotta yeah. yeah just the idea of like do you need it do you need to do this yeah when i think of that when i think of to me, that really defines humans. And then I go, okay, well, that's going to happen. They're, the buffalo are going to – something is going to happen. And even kind of going back to plastic, I think plastic had its huge jump from us over deforesting areas and old growth forests and using a lot more paper products and being like, what if we found a magic solution? Mm-hmm. And then here comes plastic. And like, that was also wrong. And we just keep <laughs> trying. It's yeah. just like this daisy chain thing of, okay, let's just – as a given, say that humans are going to click yes on Amazon or they are going to shoot that buffalo from the wagon for whatever reason. And it, while they're eradicating a, a civilization of people that were very good to the earth and very in in line with or synced up with it, like a synchronicity. And then we just went, well, no, that that's not how we do it. We click yes on Cyber Monday to, to get 10 things that we don't need. So then that daisy chain keeps going. And so then it ends up in the ocean and mm-hmm. we just go, that's a foregone conclusion. Mm-hmm. Unless we start with kids really little and just show them a one-to-one example of see what you're doing and where that's leading to. Now that bottle is in the ocean. Maybe like we could get that back. But I also, the the more pessimistic side of me is like, let's just figure out how to get the drones that aren't <laughs> drones or get the things that are, yeah. you know, that are, that are less intrusive, but. To me, that seems like what it's going to take. It's just like, all right, the mess is going to be made. Hmm. How do we clean it up and do it effectively? Well, you know, um, one sort of really small example, and maybe not really small, really cool organization based out of Indonesia is called Sungai Watch. Um, They have a really, I mean, kind of exactly what you're talking about. They've been able to create a uh economy out of collecting plastic so in these really poor communities in indonesia where there's a lot of plastic pollution through the riverways they've created these barriers that collect the plastic um and then that sort of scooped out from where it's collected brought to a, a sorting facility where they hire people from the local community to sort through um and then they recycle what they can and that goes out to these kind of cool uh, often cool companies that are doing things with with recycled plastic like think you know sneakers or i don't know if you've heard of parlay 
they do, they have like a partnership with Adidas and it's ocean plastic that they turn into different products. Um, so they can partner with these sort of mission aligned brands that, that actually use the fact that, that it's, it's found ocean plastic or diverted a plastic diverted from the ocean as like a marketing tool, mm. you know, and then they create this whole sort of factory business that can create an economy within a community that's, that's quite sustainable. Um, and so just, and honestly, the, I think it was something like the startup cost for this, like to create this factory, to put in the barriers, to pay everyone a, live, a, a good living wage. Um, I don't know how many people work at each factory, but it is sort of a hub of economy and it was like a five hundred thousand dollars for three years or something, like wow. minuscule, yeah. you know. And then and they have this um, this they're trying to bring this uh, model to different areas in Indonesia along the coast. Um, so I think there are people who are thinking that way out there, and it is possible. Yeah. Um, and I think it does have to happen at a community and kind of hyper local level to be meaningful. Yeah. Make sure that it's not just like re, re, you know, um, creating the same problems over and over again. You know, it has to be done kind of small scale. Yeah. Um, and intentionally. Yeah, I think like that's a whole other. I mean, that's, you're a marine biologist. I don't want to get into like economic systems, but I think <laughs> like the idea of trying to solve it that way of if you look at maybe the these figureheads these giant you know people that sort of pull the strings on how the world's economy operates they got in early on well what is what is something humans are always going to need or be purchasing mm-hmm. and so they're huge companies that manufacture all the world's salt or just right. you know, like that can't be that big of a well think about how much that is going to every household it's a, it's quite a bit and uh or even like, you know, city to city, there's always trash. And so the first few families that got in and started like sanitation departments, even with horses pulling around on a wagon, they would just chuck all the trash on and then realize like, this is never going to end. Mm-hmm. People like to think like, nah, we'll bury ours next week, but come back in a month. And now uh, every week it's going to be like, mm-hmm. you'll have waste. And so if we could look at it that way, we're like, the idea now that we, the Cyber Monday thing is based on planned obsolescence. Like that TV you got four years ago, mm. not working so good, is mm-hmm. it? But now we have a new one. If it's the opposite, if it's the waste and looking at it like, well, it's never going to end, but could we have a sustainable way of repurposing it yeah. or collecting it? I mean, absolutely. That'd be amazing. Um, one of the big issues that that is happening in the ocean <laughs> right now <laughs> is deep sea mining. Um, I don't know if you've heard about that at all. There's, it's basically like just on the forefront of cutting edge of more of a new materials extraction process, which is horrifying, um, the way they're proposing to do it. It's, it's completely, we have no idea the consequences of this kind of environmental damage. Um, the deep sea is less studied than like our, our solar system. Um, we're making new discoveries there every day. Uh, the consequences are are really um, extreme, could be catastrophic, and 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 also contributing to climate change. Anyways, there's a handful of countries that are <clears throat> that are pushing for this to happen. Um, Norway just actually is the first country. Just yesterday, they they their politicians passed a law to be able to start deep sea mining there. 
Um, And they're doing it for these rare earth minerals that we're using in batteries and cell phones, right? Um, And, you know, there's no... This is like one of the few (laughs) ways to get these things that we need. We need our cell phones. (laughs) I love my cell phone. Um, And, you know, when you talk to people who are experts on this and and really like, you know, pushing for a moratorium on deep sea uh, deep sea mining, um, the solution that I've heard is we could be recycling our old cell phones. (laughs) We do not need to be throwing these away because within those are these materials that are still good. You know, these materials haven't run their course. Um, Often our cell phones are totally functioning, but we want a better camera. You know, like there there is a way that we could be recycling these and that would allow us to not have to start doing to the deep sea what we've already done on land for petroleum. Yeah. No, I know that. I mean, but do you do this? Maybe this is nihilistic or maybe it's helpful to just be like, well, that is humans. You know, just the idea that like. Oh, man, is it? It's I I don't want to think. I mean, I I hear you and I think that's a through line in this conversation. We are just trash people, (laughs) you know, I guess. Doesn't it seem like there's this impulse, maybe not within you or me. I mean, I think we're trying to like look at the planet and be like, it'd be nice if the sky was clear and we could see all the way to the mountains. And other people are like, ah, we're only here for a short period of time. Like, uh, You got to make a lot of money and fly all over and see every (laughs) continent and do all the things. And you got to make a lot of money to do that. And then they're comfortable I mean, I guess it's just the, I mean, it it all is, is just like the you know, the downfall of capitalism, really. I mean, that greed, um, that disregard for the future of the planet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so depressing. It is. But I, I I feel like another through line within this is this idea, like, can they be reconciled? Can this yeah. idea that, like, if there is money to be made, can it just be steered in a way where where we don't keep slicing open an artery mm-hmm. and then scrambling around to find ways to yeah. do anything other than just not touch the artery. Right. Just stop digging in there and consistently, there's blood everywhere. Like, then stop doing it. Stop digging totally. into the ocean's floor. Yeah. You, you know, we, we can we can pipe this fuel or this oil all over and right. then just millions of gallons leaked out are bad we were wrong in our projections yeah. <laughs> yeah we told you not to use the scalpel well right. well who could have seen this everyone right. everyone that saw that idea said oh no that seems pretty risky mm-hmm. yeah i mean that's exactly it's it's what's so frustrating you know you you think about the the climate the cop cop 28 like the the climate negotiations and you know, this year was supposedly a real groundbreaking year because they finally acknowledged that we need to move away from fossil fuels, not stop using <laughs> fossil fuels, not phase out, but just uh, to move away. Yeah. Um, and that was like, you know, some people were like, wow, cool. Look at us. Way to go. You know, it's the first time we've said fossil fuels in in the actual policy documents. And um like you said, it's like the, the the it's gushing blood. Our planet's gushing blood right now, and people are sort of like, "Oh, cool!" You know, like <laughs> looks like we have a band aid in the in the trunk of the car. Yeah. Um. Or that, like, in these sort of plans that happened at the COP, you know, in order to move away or transition from, um, they're they're sort of tripling down on other other types of of fossil fuel products, gas products, away from coal and towards gas. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, 
I think that is a, you know, a good analogy of just, we've hit the vein. Um, and there's a lot of just complete inaction happening to do anything about it. It's, it's terrifying. You know? I think that existentially is maybe how people are trying to justify how they feel about it. There's, you're in a room, there's blood spraying all over the walls and there are a handful of people going, if we could all just, if we could apply, apply pressure here and if you mm-hmm. could go and source some gauze, I think we can get this mm-hmm. cauterized or we could, you know, mm-hmm. s- and everyone's just sitting there like, it's always just been raining blood. I've just gotten <laughs> used to it. I'm just yeah. going to buy a jet ski and have as much fun as I can. <laughs> and like, if all this, the blood will yeah. run out eventually. Yeah. And, I'm fine. I have an umbrella. <laughs> yeah, I have yeah. an umbrella and I'm getting that jet ski <laughs> and going to have fun. And I yeah. just, I can't look over there. I can't think about it. It's just going to bum me out. Right. Too much. Yeah. It makes me queasy. Yeah. But, yeah. It, but you're there. You're near the mm-hmm. wound, kind of like, please, everyone, mm-hmm. just a little, and we can do this. Yeah. Definitely. But, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, one, I was listening to to a podcast (laughs) the other day about COP, and they were talking about how, um, you know, so so the Paris Agreement was in in 2015, and that was sort of the first, like, kind of like, we got to do something about climate change. You know, all of the scientists that study this stuff are saying that we're on a trajectory to hit four degrees uh, temperature increase. You know, in a hundred years, I, I forget the exact um, time frame, but like that, if that happens, it's catastrophic. This is Armageddon. Like, this is not going to be okay. So let's do something about it. And here we are, you know, uh, 2023, last year for COP, and we're looking at three degrees, you know, so it, it did something, yeah. which is like cool, but three degrees is still fucked. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like we, it's bad, yeah. you know, the consequences of three degrees. We uh, ultimately, it, to avoid, you know, critical damage, need to be under 1.5. Mm-hmm. So we're double at this point. Yeah. Um, so it's like this sort of, it's like this, wow, we actually, we did do something about it, but we're just not doing enough. We're not doing it at the speed or the scale that we have to be doing. So the, it's like, it's almost like performative, you know, Yeah. Um, which is terrible, which is really frustrating. You know, <laughs> is that worse? To just sort of pretend like the the global, you know, government agencies are doing something. It's like when they get together and move that doomsday clock. Oh. I always wonder if they're going <laughs> to, like, when all the earthquakes are happening and all the volcanoes <laughs> are going, if they're going to be like, get to the clock. Someone get a camera set up. Look, we were right. And they just <laughs> move the hands right. The yeah, end. we'll do a countdown. <laughs> yeah. Right, do we, we got it exactly. We're Some down to ticker the second. Tape. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And and then, I mean, maybe the jet ski person is like, all right, all right, I was prepared for this. I, I kind of thought the blood would right. stop, but it didn't. And yeah. now now we go into the bunker and we get our oxygen masks and we forge ahead in this new world. Yeah, we got a planet Z. Yeah, if yeah. there's some escape mm-hmm. getaway. It's not, I mean, and that, again, existentially comes when you are sitting there going, is, I mean, it's going to be bad if it is skies full of ash and this very doomsday-ish look of, what does that entail when, you know, the magnetic poles of the earth have not shifted? Seems like they should have. For whatever reason, they're just kind of holding there like, mm-hmm. come on, guys, get it together. Yeah, I'm on your on. side. I'm planet Earth. I right. love you. Or it's just some anomaly, some strangeness in that like that tri- projection 
seems to not be panning out on the timeline it normally mm-hmm. does. And maybe we'll get lucky in the same way with we, – we live right near the San Andreas Fault. It's long overdue. Totally. And we all just kind of live here like, yeah, not not so far. <laughs> I mean I think it's in my New Year's resolution every year to get an earthquake get together. <laughs> Literally just talked about it last week. (laughs) We just keep not like, I don't know, it's still holding in there. And then, so then it feels a little tinfoil haddish to have like oxygen in a bunker and uh, the snacks and all the stuff ready. Because I think there's a large hesitation to do that of like, I don't know if I want to keep going if it gets to that point. Mm -hmm. I might just let the tidal waves take me on out to sea. Yeah. I mean, what about your family? I know, like, I got to fight for them. I'm like, do they want to <laughs> live in this ash-filled yeah. world of looters running around and robbing everyone right. and just strange hordes of people grouping up and becoming even less governed than... Yeah, than Mad it, Max. Yeah, I mean, that... I don't know. So we're lucky that we're not to that point. And it feels mm-hmm. like this whole idea of you being near the vein and trying to stop the bleeding mm-hmm. is is at its core, scientists are saying, we don't want to live in that world. Right. We know we don't want to live in that world. Yeah. Yeah. So that seems a noble fight. It seems worth <laughs> worth fighting for. You know, I like want to go back to sort of the beginning that something, this this fear, this anxiety, this, you know, Seeing the, the the blood spurting from the vein, thinking about it all the time, well, that is very depressing. I can't just sit around and not do anything about it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, my the work that I do is really niche. So I work for an organization that that brings art in and marine science to, together, and we make sort of creative communications about ocean science and ocean scenarios um, and a lot of mural street art to raise awareness for what's going on in the oceans and to kind of connect with people. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm I making a difference kind of like one mural at a time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and that maybe doesn't seem as uh, immediately effective as, as, going after, you know, policymakers and trying, you know, lobbying for, for change. But this is the way that I feel is really important to make a difference. This satisfies that part of me that feels like I need to do something. Um, well, kind of trying to be innovative about how to connect with people since what we have been doing hasn't been working or, you know, it hasn't been, we haven't done enough. We can, we can easily say we haven't done enough, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, one mural, one mural at a time, changing, changing minds out there, um, is the goal. Well, I want to, <laughs> I want to talk more about that. We didn't really get into like, you know, your education and what you do now and stuff. So we'll take a, if you're up for it, take a little break and then get into that. Yeah, that sounds good. Well, I hope you liked it. Stay tuned for part two. Uh, And again, if you are not a member yet, if you're not a Patreon subscriber, uh, this show is made possible ad-free because of contributions from listeners just like you. Thank you to Sarah Ruth Alexander, our latest Patreon member, who is also someone whose music has been featured on this show. Very talented musician. She was at the Junk Show long ago. Um, I see her when I was traveling doing more stand-up in Texas. Maybe one day again, our paths will cross. For now, hold up doing podcasting here in the Space Cave and Intercepts getting ready to come out soon. The new season of These Are Those Tapes is out. 
Um, by the time you listen to this, probably the sixth and final episode of this current season is out, and hopefully more of those on deck. And then there's a little bit of uh, an announcement about Professor Blastoff and a Patreon for that starting uh, February 6th. I'll probably do something on, for the Patreon group here as far as like why it is that, how that's all going to work, and so on, some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. But anyway, stick around for part two with Kyla. It's fantastic. We get way more into her background, education, where she works now, Pangea Seed. Amazing. If, if you um, get a chance, if you're on social media, if you're on the internet, go to Pangea Seed. Just Google that. And if you're on Instagram, go to Seawalls and then an underscore at the end. Incredible murals. It's a really cool project. We get into that on part two. Um, for now, let's get out of here. This is a song by Jenny Owen Young. It's called It's Later Than You Think. Thanks for stopping by the space game. Got a memory to amputate, taking for the Novocaine, looking for some relief. Doctor of ontology took some warning out of me, like he was pulling teeth. It's later than